Welcome to Words in Living Color. On this podcast, I take a look at adaptations of children's and young adult literature with the help of children's book enthusiasts. Hi, everyone. My name is Caitlin, and I have my friend Kate on again to share (laughs) our thoughts and our feelings about Percy Jackson and The Lightning Thief, the first of the Percy Jackson series, written in 2005. And we're going to talk about that book along with another musical adaptation, The Lightning Thief musical. So excited to talk Yay! about another another alternative adaptation other than movies and film, which yes. of course, obviously are still good. And there is a film adaptation of this one, but Yay. our main focus <laughs> discussing the musical. Yes. So... As I always like to do, I'm going to let you give our listeners a synopsis of the book, and then we'll dive in on what we liked about it and things that were important, things that stuck out to us, and then obviously segue from there. All right, take it away. Okay, so it is a book about a boy who discovers that his dad is actually a Greek god and that there's a special camp for all of these children of the Greek gods because the Greek gods are real. They live in our world in a way, you know, they just live on Mount Olympus over the Empire State Building. It's totally fine, you guys. Totally normal. And so he goes to this camp and all of these really crazy things are happening because it turns out somebody stole Zeus's lightning bolt and it's a huge deal. And so Percy is revealed to be the son of Poseidon, the sea god, And everyone's like, oh, well, it was probably you. So you should go find it if you say you don't have it. Because I'm sure you stole it because your dad would totally steal from Zeus. And so he goes on an adventure with his best friend from school, like before he goes to this camp, who is actually a satyr. Because, you know, of course. And he meets Annabeth, who ends up being one of his best friends, even though she's very reluctant to become his friend at the start and they go on this crazy quest to try and find the lightning bolt they end up going to the underworld and they meet a couple other gods along the way they do end up getting the lightning bolt and go back to new york and return it and at the end they find out who the lightning thief was and it was not anyone they thought it was initially and there's a big subplot behind everything that's been happening well put there's a lot of things that happen, and we'll touch on a few of those in so a sec. Much. But generally, yes, he's a regular kid. He's dealing with acting out, and he's dealing with mm-hmm. dyslexia, and he's just... ADHD. Yeah, he's yeah. having a hard time at school, and obviously his best friend Grover is there to help him, and he ends up being his protector, which we find out mm-hmm. once the mythological world is revealed to Percy. Yes. But he's dealing with all those things, and all of a sudden, all of this crazy stuff happens. Uh, mm-hmm. Herpes after him, and then he destroys her with a sword, and then turns out his teacher, who's in a wheelchair, is not actually a handicapped character. Yeah. Yes. Actor, but he's yes. a centaur, centaur. And, <laughs> you know all, all the things the all crazy the things. things and the fact that his mom has known this for a very long time and is just doing what she can to protect him by yes. hiding him from this world which is good and then ends up ultimately hurting him because he doesn't know what he's up against and he could well. be go- have got and she's protecting him in his own way by being married to uh, a very awful guy a who- super 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 nasty mortal man who yep. admits such a distinct smell that you cannot smell the god part of percy because this mortal odor kind of coats him and protects him since his father is such a strong god his blood has that strength in it 
which monsters would notice. And so he's actually lived a much more protected life than we find out later as the book series go on. Some of the other characters have had because they've had monster attacks since they were children because of their Olympian blood. Exactly. When Percy finds out about that, he's like, oh my gosh, mom, you've been dealing with this really terrible, horrible guy. Just get back to me. Like, I love you and respect you even that much more than I did before. The stepfather is rather abusive verbally, and we do find out that it may be more than just verbal abuse as the book goes on. Yes. So it's a very big turn of events for him and a vague realization. Pretty initially, like the first chapter, Mm -hmm. we find out about the harpy coming after him. Like, it's immediate. That that's really fun because it immerses us immediately in the world and we get as scared and and apprehensive but also excited about what's going to happen the The writing is amazing the first chapter title is called i accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher pretty much tells you straight away what's going down and it's an (laughs) an immediate hook like it's an immediate like oh my gosh what the chapter titles are fantastic in these books the initial chapter and his narration his voice is amazing it pretty much is like just be warned things are going to get crazy stuff's going to go down yeah just be warned if you're not up for scary stuff don't keep reading just stop like (laughs) because it's just going to get worse from here yeah total first disclaimer i mean the first line is look i didn't want to be a half-blood so initially we're like half-blood of what yeah it goes on to just believe the lies pretend like this world doesn't exist you don't want to be here like you just don't it's bad (laughs) exactly Rick Riordan just brings you into the world Mm -hmm. and gets you immersed immediately. And it's an awesome way to start a novel that ends up having so many other crazy things happen as well. And you you really get a sense of Percy's voice right from the get-go, too. Exactly. Awesome. Yes. And that was really fantastic. Other than their quest for the lightning bolt, Mm -hmm. Zeus's bolt, Percy also has the other incentive of trying to save his mom. Because when they know there's trouble around his mom and Grover. They're taking Percy to the camp. Yeah, they're taking him to the the camp. Mm -hmm. And then a minotaur goes after Percy to try to take him and Mm -hmm. ends up taking his mom. So he has that second incentive of going to get his mom because he realizes Mm -hmm. at some point. Because Chiron won't say that his mom is dead because she kind of went up in that golden mist. Right. And so there was no body there was nothing that looked dead because if he wanted to kill her he would have like trampled her to death or something and so then right because percy's taken all this ancient greek mythology he goes oh is the underworld real and chiron's like yeah Mm -hmm. but uh, don't think about it just don't think about it until we know more about what's going on like just stop that train of thought right there so percy comes to that conclusion on his own Luke is this other character that comes up and he's also a half-blood. He's also mm-hmm. been at the camp just like Annabeth has. They both yes. grew up in the camp essentially. And so he's immediately on Percy's side when he gets to the camp. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts though is the initial main sort of battle that Percy gets into pretty much immediately, which is capture the flag, which normally mm-hmm. is, you know, the basic go run, hide, yep. trick people, get a flag from for your team, all that stuff. Yep. Well, it's always heightened, especially in the Half-Blood camp, because 
not only are you trying to get the flag, but you also have swords and shields yep. and yep. you're fighting the other yep. team as opposed to just trying to sneak around and, and capture it by stealth. You're doing it by force. Exactly. So Percy immediately is thrown into this, has no clue, has no training whatsoever. Annabeth, her mom, Athena, is sort of mm-hmm. the tactical one, has strategy, has all of the brains behind certain mm-hmm. operations. Annabeth and the Athena cabin and the Hermes cabin joined together. And then we find out who Percy's dad is because mm-hmm. we haven't found out to this point who his dad is. We know he's a god Correct. because he's a half-blood, but yep. we've never been told or have any clue of who his dad really is mm-hmm. because it's not been revealed to him. His mom didn't tell him. He has no idea. And then he gets injured and the water saves him and heals him. And then we're like, oh, water. What god's water? Oh, Poseidon. Well, Poseidon's one of the three main gods that are not technically supposed to have had children, but lo and behold, uh, Poseidon broke that rule and had Percy. Throughout the whole book, you can tell mythology was one of those things that really interested Percy, and he knew a lot about it. I don't think he was super interested in it. I just think because Mr. Brunner, aka Chiron, was his teacher, he liked the teacher, and so he tried harder in that class than he tried in anything else. That's true. He didn't necessarily love it he found it kind of weird and interesting but like not enough to be like this is my favorite class ever right he he respected Chiron he liked him as a teacher and so he like you said he did try harder exactly and so he did learn a little bit more than he might have if he had been yes as inattentive he he knows enough to be like aware on the basics but he doesn't I mean obviously Annabeth is going to know a crazy lot more about all the more unusual bits and pieces and can correct him on names because yeah. he gets all the names wrong all of the yeah. time. Well, and so, um, and so can Grover because Grover yes, obviously is, exactly. is one of those mythological creatures, yes. <laughs> which is one of the most brilliant things that Rick Riordan did is incorporating so many elements of mythology in the oh, whole yes. book. And yeah. for me, coming back to it after years and years of not reading it and reading it Mm -hmm. again after I've had all of my education in mythology through various high school courses and beginning college courses, I picked up on a lot of it. So throughout the thing, I would be completely familiar with some mythological reference because Mm -hmm. I remember learning about it. And so it was really neat to pick, pick out all those things and, or hear a name or or read a part that described something that this person was doing and you're like, oh, crap. He's really good at not giving too much away too quickly sometimes about a mythological person or character because sometimes he'll just be like, we're going to let it sit for a while and then like at the end you're like, oh my god, I bet that's a Cyclops. And he's like, it was a Cyclops! And you're like, I'm so smart! I knew it! Other times with the more unusual ones, he's like, okay, so here's the myth about this person because you probably don't know it because it's real obscure so we're just gonna have Annabeth explain it or have Grover explain it and then like we're gonna go battle him exactly well and the idea of giving different readers different insights so the kids who have read mythology or know it get a chance to guess it and Mm -hmm. then get proved right when uh, he reveals it to them and so then they pick up some foreshadowing they pick up some other things but then those kids who haven't read it get surprised and they're like oh yeah that makes sense okay yeah and so both both sides of the knowledge Mm -hmm. base of mythology both, uh, both sides of those readers get to, a chance to experience it in a cool, interesting way. And it, it's interesting exactly. for both sides instead of yes. it being yeah. a blow-off for those who know a lot about it or confusing for those who know nothing about it. It yeah. was a brilliant tactic really of great. mixing it up like that. Mm-hmm. 
but one of the the things that for me immediately stuck out and I I predicted it before it happened was Mm -hmm. them going to Auntie M's Emporium and walking in and seeing all the statues Mm -hmm. and reading about how they were walking through it and it just seemed eerily lifelike and you're like oh man well, what? especially because Grover's like, I think that's my Uncle Ferdinand. I'm yeah, and you're sure. like, and he's like, he couldn't be. And you're like, oh. And you're like, wait, this be. might actually it be him. Be. So what turns things into stone? <laughs> oh, oh, Medusa. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Got it. <laughs> well, like we do with the book, other than yeah. obviously we loved the mythology parts of it and oh, how brilliantly he weaved those in. What was... A part of the story, some either story element, uh, event, twist, character, something that stuck out to you, other than obviously the mythological parts. I loved how he was able to marry the mythology with modern life and all of the history that's happened since. Because, like, I don't know, I was just flipping through and I saw something that, you know who's gone to the underworld. Oh, well, you know, Orpheus and somebody else from ancient mythology. And then the last person they mention is Houdini, which, you know, why would Houdini? Why, yeah. why is he in here? But it turns out like all these famous people, you know, oh yeah, sure. They were totally children of the gods. Like, obviously. Yeah. And obviously. it's really neat to, to have that be like, yeah. oh yeah, you know what? I could totally see that being true. Yeah, or, exactly. Oh, He's... if they were really part of this world, that would make sense why that person would be the offspring yes. of this god or whatever. Yeah. And just like the way that they describe, oh, well, the Greek gods, like they keep just kind of shifting where they are living currently because, you know, Western civilization keeps moving from place to place. So first it was in Greece and then it was here in Rome and then it moved to Britain and then it moved to the U.S. And they also use architecture to kind of explain it, because if you think about all of our government buildings, they're pretty much all Greek in how they look. So it's one of those things you're like, oh, yeah, we do keep a spirit of that ancient Greek time alive and both our form of government and our words that we use and by retelling their myths in school all the time. And so, of course, they're still alive because we're thinking of them so they can't. And they're also immortal, so can't really die. They can just fade away. And so it it just all kind of makes sense in a weird way. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because you're like, maybe, maybe it is real. He gives that, yeah, Yeah. that sense of realism along with all of the the fantasy. And so you just can see it being practically applicable to how certain things are done in our actual life. It's really fun to sort of bring out some of that fantasy into a real world situation. And I think he also does a fantastic job of making a very strong female character. Yes. Annabeth and then Clarice, the daughter of Ares, even later um, characters like Selena Beauregard and basically all of his female characters have a lot of agency unless they're part of the Greek myth thing and part of their life was to be waiting around and being told what to do by men. But pretty much every female character who's modern or like Athena, yes, of course, she's going to be respectful, but she is a goddess of war. So she's gonna, you know, get out there and do some stuff. There's strong and the men are perfectly happy and fine with that which is really nice to see it is and especially from a 
a male author. Not saying that that's yes, yeah. indicative of anything, but no. it, it does it help. To, yeah, it can be. Absolutely. So it's neat for him to give similar agency to both male and yes. female characters. And especially because sure. this is for kids. And I know when he wrote it, he really wanted it to be more YA than younger middle grade. But it ended up in the middle grade section because that's what happens sometimes. So just having younger kids be able to read these characters, and especially if they're young boys reading it, you have to hope that part of it sinks in and they go, yes, strong female characters are good. Exactly. <laughs> yes, and strong they... females should be around me and I can respect them and they're valid. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a huge positive of the characters she's put together for yes. sure. One of my favorite parts is the quest itself, mm-hmm. the fact that they have to travel all across the, the entire country yeah, yeah. in order to get to the underworld and then yes. also to eventually try to save Percy's mom. She ends up being mm-hmm. saved anyway, but it was really cool to, to sort of see them visit real life places and be like, yeah. oh, something mythological is related exactly. to this? Interesting. Or they or run this into is something? just the place that's going to happen? All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like for me, I, I remember going up into the St. Louis Arch and the fact that mm-hmm. it is so combined and cramped and, and the fact that they run into this thing monster that you really can't escape very easily nope. in a very kind <laughs> Not of confined space, way up there, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of creepy. And, and then the whole Las Vegas thing was brilliant. Oh, that was um, so smart. Incorporating a the Lotus, Lotus Hotel, hotel yeah. which makes you forget time or lo- lose track of time anyway. Yeah. And you, it was smart within the timeline, too, because it increased mm-hmm. their sense of urgency to get to the underworld because of oh, the yeah. deadline of the summer solstice. And so they were already pressed for time a little bit, but they they yep. made it pretty good time. And then to realize they've lost three days instead of the three hours they assumed it was. And then exactly. coming to find out that they're within a day of this timeline. They haven't even found who's stolen it officially yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten to the underworld. Oh, they, yeah. They know nothing yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a brilliant twist on how their journey is going. On top of all the other things they ran into, they also had this element. And it was cleverly incorporated into both mythology and successful plot yes. story and yeah. building and elements. So I liked that part a lot, too. Yeah. All right, so we've talked about the novel, and the adaptation we're going to talk about is The Lightning Thief Musical, which was done off-Broadway in 2017, and Rick Riordan actually supported the musical, thought it was really brilliant, and thought it was well done, and so he's Mm -hmm. endorsing it. And I'm going to include a snippet of Kate and I's discussion after we saw the musical, and we're going to share that with you now, and we'll come back for additional thoughts. All right, folks. Well, we're here live after Kate, my friend Kate, and I saw Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief musical. So exciting. Oh my gosh, so good. So we wanted to give first impressions right after the show because we thought it'd be fun and it's a really cool way to immediately get our reactions to seeing the stage musical stage version of the book of the novel that we've just previously talked about so kate first impressions go so really really good definitely true to the spirit of the book without being too exacting because i think you could get lost if you tried to be that way um i thought they did a really good job with all the doubling because it's what six seven people total Seven or eight, yeah. 
I think it might only be seven. Hang on. No, it's it gotta be seven. We're gonna count. Okay, we're gonna count. So there's Percy, <laughs> yes. there's Annabeth, yes. there's Grover, who yes. also plays Mr. D. There yeah. is Chiron, who also plays a bunch of things. There yeah. is uh, Clarice, who plays a bunch of things. And then there's Sally, who plays a bunch of things. So that's seven. Seven, yep. Seven. Look at you. So, so <laughs> look at me. Um, oh my God. So, other than Percy and yes. mostly Annabeth, everyone else plays everyone multiple else doubles, roles, yeah. which is really fantastic. They did a really great job of really being able job. to place people in certain scenes and it not feel like, oh, I'm seeing Chiron up there as Hades, or yeah. I'm seeing Sally up there as the Lord of the or the shoot. She uh, oh, she played. She played so many things. Well, she did. I mean, they all basically play campers. Yes. So there's that. But so, yeah, I, the actors were really amazing, and they really picked actors who could totally change their persona completely. The one that you could tell was definitely the same actor was Grover slash Mr. D. They're both a little bit over the top, but it makes a lot of sense for those characters. Like, yeah. a lot of sense. So and he, really and well. he changed it enough that Mr. D was very angsty, and it was just... He was very manic. It worked so well <laughs> so for, manic. you know, the god of wine who is not allowed to have wine. wine. You know, you it's... only drink diet. I know. So sad. So terrible. Anyway, but... It was just, I mean, just so rock music. So that that's essentially, it's a rock musical. Yes. So it feels... It felt like a concert, yes. but it also still felt like a show, which yes. is really hard to do. Yes, they had enough interlude in between the songs to give you the sense of the show, and then yes. obviously the story was really strong. But then they also gave you that really rock concert. You wanted to sing along. You wanted to jump in the yes. air with them. You wanted to yeah. rock out with them. And so yeah. it was such a great... It was the great a perfect choice for the genre of music for this particular Definitely. show. Definitely. And I think, weirdly, it works better as a small cast, because I think if you had too big a cast, you would get, like, lost in all of the minutiae of all the detail, which is wonderful in the books and beautiful in the books, but if you were to try and put that on stage, I think it would just kind of fall apart. Yes. Whereas this, you knew what you were seeing was small, and it wasn't going to be every tiny little detail but they they hit most of them yes pretty hard and it was amazing yes it was so good and they and like Kate said like you said earlier the spirit of the show was absolutely oh. the spirit of the book was absolutely in the show 100% for sure 100% and the characters were so brilliantly staged and yes. Uh, just, I mean, so so clever in the way that they were able to to represent all the characters in the way that they show up in the books, and then have the whole conflict between Percy and all the things he's learning at the same time. Although that was a different thing that they did in the show, they made him very naive. He was very unaware of anything Greek mythology oriented. Well, he is at the start of the books too, but. His, in a lesser extent, because he learned so much from his yes, from they kind his of teacher. Skip over the Mr. Brenner teaching him so much, um, but you kind of have to because otherwise, again, you would get caught in the nitty gritty. And and it works for a show, a musical that maybe not everyone has read the novel, and so they yes, or they yeah. don't know a whole lot about exactly, Greek mythology, yeah. and so they're running it's through not it with him. Yeah, yeah. It's similar to the way that J.K. Rowling has Harry be 
extremely clueless and it yes. works with how he was raised but it also allows her to explain things to the audience without yeah. feeling like it's just droning on with explanation after explanation it well, makes sense for him Annabeth to understand and Hermione it. are basically the same character type because they're basically the smart girl who they're, tells the they're Athena's daughters it's yeah. just it works it's true they're the smart girl who tells the boy what the heck they're actually facing exactly um, and Percy of course gets smarter throughout the books much like Harry gets smarter throughout the books it's just a thing you guys it's how it works <laughs> it's always going to connect back to Harry Potter exactly. you can't when it's with it. us too you, you so I'm, I'm sorry you guys <laughs> it's happen. also a book series of mythological yes and such you just can't help it yeah. you just can't be helped <laughs> yes so they did they like uh, like you said they did abridge certain aspects of this story so Absolutely. the whole um travel between New York and LA was very yeah I was kind of surprised where intermission actually happened yes intermission ended right before they go on the quest quest. they haven't even left on the quest yet and that's the first half and that's the first hour and the show is an hour two hours and 15 minutes yeah so you you got a lot to push in to a little time but the way they did it was really smart because they touch on everything but they don't get kind of Yes, and they also were able to focus on the things that everybody wants to know about. They want to understand how Percy is getting just pretty much dropped in the middle of this world. Yes. And his mom's known about it, and his best friend's part of the world, yeah. and his favorite teacher's part of the world. And so he has to sort of acclimate all of that. Yeah. And then finally, so I think they placed it in a oh, yeah. in a reasonable place so that everyone can... So that everyone can understand exactly, like, oh, he's now understood where he is, and now yes. he's going on this quest, and he's sort of being thrown into this as well, because he doesn't really know much, but yes. he also is with somebody who's very knowledgeable, who's grown up in the camp, Yeah, and then yeah, a yeah. satyr who's meant Who to be his protector, who's lived the in the world. Yeah. Exactly. So, it thought, works out really well. I thought well. the motivations they gave Percy were very different and interesting, actually, because his whole motivation, I mean... He always had the dual motivation in the book, but they definitely kind of make it more of a, like, I don't care about my dad situation, which it isn't entirely true to the book, because he he does want to make his dad proud. Yes, Um, and he he cares a lot, and he he wants to know his dad. He wants his dad to to at least acknowledge him and have a conversation. Yeah, even when he didn't know who his dad was, he didn't hate his dad. He just didn't think about his yeah. dad well and that was part of the camp too is that a lot of oh, those yeah. kids feel that way about yes. their parents because yeah. they the parents honestly don't care because they have a, a ton of children oh, yeah. like Hermes has a ton, yeah, of, children. ton of children and so yeah. it made sense for him to to fall in line with that because oh, yeah. he didn't know for, any better at that point yeah, for dramatic effect it works really well too yeah so I didn't I didn't think it was a bad choice but it definitely was a very different choice yes which again it feels like the kids in this are a little bit older than they are in the book originally well, yes. which is also a stage thing because yes. you know when you have 20 year olds pretending to be teenagers you can't really make them 12 you got to make them like 16 because yes. otherwise it's real awkward yes. so you've got to age them up in some exactly. way but yeah. yeah exactly so some of the plot did change as well in terms of when things happen so oh, a little bit well they, they merged some things together some that stuff. they skipped some stuff yeah. and they merged some things together yes. so and like, they pulled in one big thing from a second book so I have read the rest of the series in a very long time. Oh my I god, do, y'all! I do not remember a lot of the second book at all. I ha- I own it. I have read it, and yet it's I have not. It's not the second not, book, actually. It's okay. the it's Titan's Curse. 
Titans. So I own that one, and I still have not finished reading that one as well. So that's interesting, and that gives uh, those who have read the full series a little, like, Easter egg in the midst of the show. For those of you who know, it's the Hoover Dam joke. If you know, you know. (laughs) There we go. Insider knowledge. (laughs) Those who've read the series can understand that part. The rest of you, go read it. Yes. Anyway. So they did augment some things. They made... Mm -hmm. They truncated this... Uh, the capture the flag scene. So they had Clarice yes. and Percy in the bathroom. There Which was... happens before capture the flag. So then yeah. they're already a little bit interested in what he is and yes. making some guesses about who his father is. But then capture the flag, he really makes his mark. And so they pulled it together, which I yeah. think worked really well. It was well. really smart because you really can't do a river on stage, but you can Correct. really easily do a toilet. Yes. So oh, way simpler. Uh, great way that they... Uh, simulated oh water on the stage so and had leaf blowers and they put <laughs> toilet, toilet paper, paper on the end <laughs> and the toilet paper flew <laughs> off as in mimicking the water spray yes. oh. from the toilet and then later on so for good. him uh, spraying Aries with a, just yes, a ton the, of ocean ton water. Of ocean so water. they brought up six leaf blowers yes. with toilet paper on for that one. So that was extremely was say, clever. The stage craft was fabulous. Yes. I was really hoping it was going to be really good just from like yeah. listening to it and seeing some promo shots and it was Yes. Amazingly good. Like, you know that you're seeing sort of a small affair, but it feels real, even though you know, yep. like, oh, that's clearly a prop. Yes. So. They were very, they, they used a lot of the props and the set and all of the, th- the ways that they it very related it on there. It yeah, was very, very well, thought, well yeah. thought and very smart in its application on, on certain parts of the stage. Yes. And then... We had the, the awesome pleasure of being in a theater where they have a lit chandelier yes. and it has all these individual light parts. Yes. Well, in the beginning, before the show starts, they move the chandelier up so that it's in the ceiling and it's not, in, it, not it impeding the view of, of those who are watching the show. Well, when it went up to the ceiling, you could tell that some of the lights were different, but when it got to the ceiling, you could see the lightning bolt for yes. the lightning thief. So perfect. And then midway through the show, when uh, when Percy finds out that he's Poseidon's son, Poseidon's sends the sign, well, the sign is in those lights of the trident. And so it was so cool. It's perfect, you guys. And uh, we are very lucky. I'm not sure sure how they would do it in a theater that didn't have that yeah, capability but you would have to sort of do a, a light projection probably on the stage behind him that that's or my maybe guess on the roof of the theater depending yes. on how it goes so it was it was a really cool aspect that we got yeah, to experience that really probably other theaters won't but it's, I mean essentially it did the same thing it yes. wasn't like it, we were getting something unique in terms of what it was telling to the story yeah. but it was a really cool way to see it was it. a really neat way so yeah. that was really neat there's so much so this is why we are giving our initial thoughts right now because there's, so there's going to be so much we'll, we'll, that will come up in our brains once we've yes. got through it all and once we relate back to the mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. Um, when we go through it yeah. for a second time for sure if you want to get a flavor of it though you've got to go listen to the cast album it's yes fabulous it definitely gives you an idea of what you're in for there's always surprises though because it's theater and yes. if there weren't it would be sad and disappointing but if you want to kind of get an idea of yeah what it really is that's the way to go exactly i i've listened to the whole cast album i did it through spotify i downloaded it she downloaded it exactly because it was going to be so good um <laughs> But yeah, but and that's exactly what true adaptation does is exactly, it yeah. transforms it into that different medium yeah. and allows but the, still keeps the heart 
Correct. Yeah. It keeps the spirit, it keeps the heart, it keeps yeah. the authenticity of yeah. what the novel is trying to say. <laughs> oh, you guys, one of the actresses is from here. Yeah. B2 Dub. <laughs> so her fan club is out here ready to celebrate all, all her, her celebrate her stage performance. Um, anyway, she was fabulous, by yeah, the way. She was, she was Clarice and others. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, yeah. More thoughts will come. Yes. This is just a snippet of our initial thoughts after seeing the show, and we just loved it. And yes. I know more, our thoughts will expand and ex- oh, we'll yes. explore tons more of we'll, the plot. We'll sleep on it a little bit. Correct. Yeah. And we'll come back to it uh, for the second half of our podcast. Yay! All right. Well, we'll see you on the other side of this episode. <laughs> All right, well, it's been a while since we saw the musical, so we want to reflect a little bit more on what we thought of the show and things that we still loved about it, things that we still remember that were captivating and well-adapted at the stage and musically. So, still, love it? Like it? What do you think? I still think I love it. It's definitely an adaptation, adaptation. There's definitely a lot of stuff in it that, you wouldn't get in the first book you would get in later books like who Chiron's dad is and stuff like that so I definitely think they basically went we're not gonna get another shot at this you guys we're gonna throw everything in we want to which was awesome because you really felt like you got a little bit more than maybe just the book would give you but not too much which I like and just kind of flipping through the book in the last couple of days they took full lines from the book and used them in the lyrics which I think is really cool like Percy's first line in the musical is also look I didn't want to be a half-blood yeah and, and that's I, what it is in the book too that, that's one so. of my favorite adaptation techniques like obviously using word for word for mm-hmm. a majority of the script is boring but right. and they definitely don't do that exactly they they give it a lot of heart they give it a little mm-hmm. bit more of a modern more informal take on how you would normally talk like print yes. there's a certain structure that's there but on stage and when you're just talking and singing you can be a little bit more informal with it so they did a really good job of that and they pulled really cool lines that worked really in that were meaningful like that Mm -hmm. sort of opening line yeah and so bringing some of those lines in is really cool and I always love when they do that because then it's really truly connecting the adaptation to the original book and the original text and the original words that were written by the author so I always love when they do that that was yeah yeah, that's still a standout thing for me and that's and that was one of the really big things I noticed initially Mm -hmm. because I knew as soon as he says it I'm like yes 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 exactly (laughs) I do weirdly think the Percy in the musical is not as compelling as the Percy in the book oh absolutely absolutely Um, he's a little bit more whiny he has a little less agency the one thing he has still is a lot of heart and a lot of respect for the people around him absolutely which is such a big part of Percy that it becomes his kind of flaw in a way it's mortal flaw he definitely has that in spades. But just looking back with you recently on the whole who tells him to go to the underworld thing, no one tells him to go to the underworld. He comes up with that himself in the book. And he's like, yeah, no, I totally don't want to go do a quest to the underworld or anything. That would be horrible to go save my mom. Yeah, uh-huh, sure, I'm not 
I was not thinking about that. I haven't been thinking about it since, you know, I got here. No. Like, you know, he lies about his actual intentions to go save his mom. And then in the musical, basically, Luke puts the idea in his brain to yep. go to the underworld. Because that's clearly where his mom is. He felt on a little bit more of a clueless, helpless side of it. Right. But I think it's also because you can't show him having all of those mythology classes yeah. in the musical. So you can't really get into the fact that, no, he actually does know some stuff. You kind of have to start a little bit further back. Yeah, because you can't everything. give a lot of the backstory you can't give all yeah. that information in a way that works on stage you exactly. have to you have to truncate it or put it in through other people's yeah. words and explanations exactly. and it's one of those things if I didn't know the book as well I would think the Percy on stage is a very compelling character he's you he's a stand-in for you on that stage especially if you don't know what's going on yeah because he's uh, as clueless as most of the audience would be if it was exactly. their first experience with the show yeah. and with the story and so from that end I appreciate it is a very theatrical thing they had to do and they they definitely let him be sarcastic they definitely let him still you know have those moments that Percy needs to have despite his level of knowledge type thing but yeah knowing both so well it's a little less compelling for me yeah I I was a little disappointed by that but I think the other compelling that they did really well for the stage was the way that the music was done like rock musical for sure was the right way to go because yeah he gets a little Yeah. yeah, and he gets a little more agency because rock is a little bit mm-hmm. more emotional, dri- emotionally driven and louder. And so you're getting a sense of how he really feels. And it's yes, it's the best genre of music that they could have picked oh, yeah. for this. You could really... do this in a traditional quote unquote style. You, you yeah. definitely need to make it modern. Yeah. And it, it definitely works. I'm still listening to the music all the time. Oh, yeah. Same here. <laughs> Like, I can't here. stop. I can't stop. Exactly. I mean, that's still something I think about. And I still think it's brilliant. I think it was really yes. well done. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And I still think that the choice of having a limited cast was brilliant, too. Oh, it was so smart. It helped pull you all together. You knew that mm-hmm. you you were seeing some of the same actors playing different roles, but they changed dramatically. So it gave them something oh, yeah. fun to get to do but then oh, they also yeah. got involved in various parts of the plot and so it wasn't mm-hmm. like all these separate characters and separate people and you're just like oh no I don't know who's who I, I'm so confused right. yeah and seeing the same people on there over and over again sort of help keep yourself within the story but mm-hmm. understand a little bit of what their new character was or their other character was because oh, yes. yeah the costuming was great because every costume was very clear that this was a different person and again it had all the actors get a chance to contribute to mm-hmm. percy's ultimate Throughout. quest and the realizations at the end and yes. his successful completion of the quest and all of that mm-hmm. and they all got a chance to be involved so that was really mm-hmm. cool i also think as an audience member it's kind of funny to see which characters people end up playing so you're like oh so the actress playing the mother is also this character that's interesting but she's also that character which is also interesting because I believe that the mother was the one who played Selena Beauregard yes and that's you know a child of the goddess of love (laughs) yeah so like so that's kind of of interesting yeah yeah And so it's one of those things you're like, yes, obviously people need time for costume changes, especially if something is kind of a big costume change and like this, that and the other thing. But you kind of know that in the back of your head, too. But at the same time, you're also like, I wonder if they thought about which ones they wanted people to 
Exactly. Well, and one of the ones that I think of immediately, the connection between it is Luke and Aries. Yes. I mean, Luke already is sort of this person that we find as a friend, but we ultimately Mm -hmm. find out he's not a friend. And then Aries is the guy who's already going to push people's buttons. And so you're just, and he helps them out at some point, but then ultimately doesn't help them. So they're similar characters. And and so. Exactly. And Luke and Aries are obviously working together in some form or fashion. Yeah. So having the same actor do both of those connected their relationship between the separate Mm -hmm. characters and then also allowed that actor to sort of, again, be a part of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Be a part of the whole thing. So, yeah, because if you just had like an ensemble, like a large ensemble of people, yeah, one person would get to do something fun and then another person would, but it would get really boring for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's not a lot for, especially once the quest starts, for large ensemble to do anything but do small cameos. Right. I think with a smaller ensemble, it it was much better that everybody could basically get close to the same stage time. Obviously, Percy has the most, which title character you expect. Yep. But I, I really do think it was very well done. Yep. And I think the other thing that was really neat is to give every one of the main characters a moment to express themselves in song. So we see, obviously, Percy expresses himself multiple times, but then Annabeth gets her own song that is Mm -hmm. sort of showing how (sighs) she is seen by other people and what she truly is. And so that was really neat. And then seeing Grover, his sort of regret and his overwhelming sense of protection, protection, but then also failing to protect right. his failure exactly but his one job is as a protector and he failed it initially when he was given that opportunity and so it's giving him another sense of like duty to make sure that Percy doesn't get hurt and so Mm -hmm. he's sort of sharing that with Percy through the story of his first failure and but he does it through song and it's really a moving song it's really well done a lot of the musical is kind of like angry we're teenagers we don't know why this is happening to us why do our parents hate us so much (laughs) type thing and so to have a couple of those really moving songs like the one that Percy and his mom share before she is uh, taken to the underworld is beautiful Mm -hmm. you need like one of those really beautiful songs right before the action really just takes off and then sort of the ballad of the whole show is bring on the monsters and so it's like Mm -hmm. yes we just went through this whole quest we dealt with all of these monsters and we survived and we made it through so mm-hmm. bring on anything, we're ready. And so yep. it sort of shows their initiative to, to keep going and to keep working mm-hmm. and keeping the half-bloods and following oh, yeah. their duty as protectors and helpers yeah. of the mythological world as well as the real world. Because the story's not over. Luke runs away, yep. so there's more to come. Exactly. Debatable on whether they'll continue and do another show. Oh, but I don't think so. I doubt it, because... <laughs> Especially with serial books like this, where there's several in a row, and and you, you just you can't. It's really hard, yeah. <laughs> and especially can't. with this series, which is five books, and then it's five more books, yeah, and then it's five more books, right? They're still being written because yeah. we're only up to book three. So there's so... all these ones that are related to mythology, which are really awesome. They're so good, you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole idea of making sure that you pull out, and that's. One of the reasons, like you said, that they mm-hmm. incorporated they, some... They took some stuff. Took, yeah, from yeah. other from the other books and yeah. incorporated Very... little elements into this yeah. one because they knew this would probably be the one. The one, And yeah. I mean, that's true, I think, of a lot of different ideas of mm-hmm. ones. Like one that I will hopefully do in a future episode is Anne of Green Gables. That musical is uh-huh. fantastic. And of course, that book is one of many. Oh my God, yes. And so, one of eight. 
Yeah, but of course, the first one is the most well known. Same with Lightning yeah. Thief, like because it mm-hmm. was made into a movie, so that was yep. it got its popularity sort of mm-hmm. resurgence from that. And then the fact that it is such a powerful first introduction into mythology, at least for a middle grade reader. So they probably won't do another one, but this one was mm-hmm. by far one of the best musical adaptations I've seen of of a youth novel because there's not that many yes. of them. Well, there's more than you think. There are more all in children's theater. Right. They're not in mainstream theater yeah so for something in mainstream theater that speaks to kids and adults and does such a beautiful job of adapting that's very very rare yeah there's a few that we've discussed and then the ones that are starting to become big like matilda like charlie and the mm-hmm. chocolate factory is now one which is very new yeah. yeah very new and so those two and then anna green gables is done not a whole lot but it's done enough that people are aware of it and they do really like it those who have seen Mm -hmm. it and or have performed Mm -hmm. it or whatever it's Mm -hmm. really well done but because of the success of this one I really hope that more children's novels get a chance to become musical theater shows Mm -hmm. because they really I mean there's just a whole nother level of empowerment and emotional connection and inner thoughts and character development and so many things that can evolve on the stage that Although present in the book a lot of the time, it also Mm -hmm. just gives a different perspective and it allows those who are adapting it such an opportunity to to bring out some things that the readers love and make it a bigger deal on stage. Yeah. I also think that because this happened, well, they probably started developing it about 10 years after the book came out to put it on stage in 2017. That also helps because it already has such a following. It's not a flash in the pan. You also have people who have loved the books when they were younger who are old enough to pay for a theater ticket which helps tremendously because yes kids will go to it and kids will try and convince their parents to go to it but in the end the parent is the one with the buying power versus the person who loved the book with the buying power yep so I think that played into it a little bit too because it definitely they aged everybody up so that they were sort of an ambiguous teenager (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know kind of did some stuff that makes a lot of sense for having a adult acting group because you don't want to be like, yes, those adults are 12. That's not weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have to make some changes within yeah, age, you know, age casting and all of that. Yeah, but. but also it allowed them to bring some of the romance to the fore that may not have been there in the first book. Right. And, you know, do some things that would appeal to the older end of their audience in addition to the younger end of their audience, which yeah. is how you make a successful one. Because exactly. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, there's adults who loved those books, like us, mm-hmm. <laughs> who, will, who will go and see them because we have the buying power to go and see them. Yeah. The powerful thing about musical theater for a larger sense, and especially for those shows that have been from children's books, the intergenerational nature of them makes yes. it more successful because exactly. it's bringing all sorts of people together. It's allowing adults yes. to go see it with their kids and share mm-hmm. that experience with them, which is what adaptations do on the exactly. whole anyway, yeah. especially ones that are widely broadcast like movies mm-hmm. and film. But yeah. with shows, there's a closer connection because it's live and it's I mean the, exactly. it's the whole power of theater anyway but the fact that the shows that I have seen and Lightning Thief included mm-hmm. bring such a strong connection for both adults and kids and oh yeah 
it's a all generational experience. Yes. Well, I think Disney proved that you can do that. Yes. In both their movies and then in their musicals, yep. which kind of have kicked off children's theater in quotation marks being also adult theater. Yep. Which I'm very thrilled about because exactly. I it's love it. I love it. It is the best. Mm. All right. Well, we love the book. Yep. We love the yep. show. Yep. And we are hoping for more things like this soon yes please yeah well thanks for being on with me kate again i know it's so much fun great and uh, we will hopefully get a chance to do another musical adaptation discussion at some other period of time or just another adaptation discussion in general yeah all right there's so many out there yeah there are (laughs) all right thanks so much thanks for listening to this episode of words in living color Thank you to Kate for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you to Doug Maxwell and Media Right Productions for the music in this podcast. And thanks to all of my supporters, without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. Until next time.